0: Oh my! Yeah, sometimes people do the silliest things when they're angry. Uh, I'm thinking about the thinking about the strange case of the motorist in Bellevue, Washington. Six inches of snow. Guy got his car stuck. Couldn't get out. He was so angry. So angry. The police said he committed autocide. Got out of his car, popped the trunk, took out his tire iron, and just started beating the life out of his sedan. Beat all the windows out. Then he took out a gun and emptied a clip and a half into the vehicle, shot out all of the tires, shot up the engine, shot up the car, the whole bit. The police said he killed it. Auto side. People do the silliest things when they get angry. I'm thinking about the golfer who was so mad at his errant shot that went into the pond. He was so angry, and this is not a personal testimony, he he was so angry that he took his bag of clubs and just fly it into the pond where his errant shot went. And it sank to the bottom, and he marched back to the parking lot, to the car. And when he got to the car, he realized where his car keys were. People do the silliest things when they're angry. So let's talk about that. And let's let's listen to what God's Word has to say about This very important emotion. Just follow along with me up on the slides if you would. I've got several scriptures. Beginning with Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103, verse 8. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 16, 32. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then James 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 and 20. This is God's word. And it's a good word about this very, very important um, emotion um, that we need to give up so that we can take up. I'll explain that a little bit later. You know, when you're looking at these verses, there's kind of a, a, a tension here because it's like, well, is it? Is anger good or is it wrong? W- w- I mean, w- 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 which is it? Yes. Yes. The Lord is slow to anger, so there is a, there's an anger on God's side. And then, but then James reminds us that the anger of man is never on God's side. It never produces the righteousness of God. People do the silliest things when they get angry, when they're filled with the anger of man. And, and they not only do silly things, they can do violent things. They can do hurtful things. They can do damaging things. Um, I'm thinking of the author Marilyn Robinson who wrote a novel uh, named Gilead and uh, her main character is a pastor. And the pastor says this, A little too much anger, too often, or at the wrong time, can destroy more than you would ever imagine. A little too much anger, too often, or at the wrong time, can destroy more than you would ever imagine. So so let's talk about this emotion. Let's talk about anger. And I just want to answer some questions. I want us to explore uh, what is anger? Let's come up with a working understanding of what anger is. Let's define it. And and then what I want us to do is I want us to see how the Bible is a story of two angers. And when I mean story, I don't mean fiction. Uh, I mean narrative. There's a plot of two angers struggling with one another. We'll see that. And then I want us to see how the cross redeems us from man's anger that we need to give up so that we can take up a better, higher, holier anger. So that's where we're going this morning as we discuss anger. And uh, before I continue, I I think it's really important to let you know that uh, this is a significant issue in my life. Um, this uh, This is why I go to celebrate recovery. Our church is governed by a team of elders and uh, I'm a part of that team and I'm also accountable to that team. I report to them. And once a year, uh, I'm evaluated in writing by the elder leadership team. Uh, And um, a little over three years ago, uh, I received a very constructive Critique from the elder leadership team on, on this very issue as it pertains to my life. I want to share with you just a portion of that letter that they wrote to me. Dear Randy, as a part of our role as shepherds of Windsor Road Christian Church, we need to lead the church toward discipleship, which includes offering guidance on how the leadership could be more effective in performing their roles. You are undeniably gifted as a teacher, which in our view is considerable. We prayerfully offer the following supplemental information as observations of some leadership areas in which we believe you can improve in order to move to the next level as a leader. Paul tells Timothy that leaders should be temperate. Clearly, a leader's temperament sets the tone for the organization. Is it safe for staff to disagree with you? Are there no topics that should be avoided? Can staff express their fears and reservations to you? Are the staff comfortable and in fact encouraged to propose changes that they believe will serve God better via the congregation or staff? We believe you would like the answer to these questions to be yes. However, based on our observations, discussions with staff members, it appears the answer is not always yes. Some staff members have expressed reservations about disagreeing with you or offering new ideas because of the anticipated stress caused by your potential negative reaction. It is not healthy for staff members to harbor fear of their leader's temper. This is true in secular organizations and should be particularly true in church leadership. Beyond the comments from staff members, some elders have personal experience with your temperament. We have on occasion seen your demeanor change from brotherly to intimidating in response to something you may not agree with. Please understand, we are not intending to throw stones. We recognize that we are not perfect in this regard, and as men can at times find ourselves being defensive when we receive words of truth that wound our pride. However, on occasion, we have observed your behavior to go beyond defensiveness and feel it can be perceived as controlling. We can see how staff members could go through the workday avoiding tough topics and rocking the boat. We want to clearly communicate that we love you and are blessed to have you as the senior minister at Windsor Road Christian Church. And because of that, we are led to lovingly communicate these concerns to you. The elders are speaking with one voice. We are open to helping you seek avenues to develop management tools and emphasize that we want you to always wear your pastor's hat. We believe that you are called to be a steward of your professional relationships as well as your personal and pastoral relationships. Please let us know if you have any questions. We love you. The Windsor Road Christian Church elders. This is why I go to celebrate recovery. And... uh, This problem was even clearer to me uh, when two of the elders who shared this letter with me had a very good conversation. And at the end of the conversation, uh, they both just kind of sighed in relief, and I kind of noticed that. And uh, I said, "I I noticed kind of a sigh of relief." I said, "What, "What? What's that about?" And and one of them said, "Well, um, we weren't sure how you were going to take this." And I said, "You mean you were afraid that I was going to get angry if you get a, give me a letter telling me that I get angry?" <laughs> 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 and they said, "Yeah, yeah." so so this is something that, you know... Just by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. It's a journey of giving up, giving up. So, so I'm going to preach to myself this morning. And if you want to listen in, feel free to. Um, let's get to work. Let's talk about what anger is. Let's define it. I like the way David Powelson defines and describes what anger is. David Powelson is a psychologist. He's a very strong, strong Christian. He runs an organization called the um, uh, Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, the CCEF. You can just uh, Google that and uh, you'll find out a lot of information about that organization. And he defines anger very simply. Here it is. I'm against that. I'm against that. That is not right. Hey, that's not right. Hey, that crossed the line. Hey, I'm displeased with that. Hey, so anger has to do with with displeasure. People can never be angry about that which pleases them. It's impossible. So I, there's this there's this response that says I'm against that. I don't like that. It's, it's protest. It's a negative emotion is what it is. Uh, and as odd as it may seem, there is a logic to anger. Really. Uh, I'm against that. And why? Because I saw that. I care about that. And I want to act to change that. That's the, kind of the logic to anger. I'm against that. It's, a, it, it's about displeasure because I saw that. So anger means I'm paying attention to something. Anger means I notice something. Anger means it's on my radar. I see it there and I'm not indifferent to it. See, indifferent people don't get angry because it's not on their radar. I mean, it's just, you know... I see it, and I care about it. I care about it. So, you know, if you don't care about it, then you're not going to get angry about it. But you care, and you see it, and it affects you, and you respond. And uh, anger has been called a moral emotion. Because when you express anger, anger is when you get angry, you reveal what you value. Anger reveals the vow. Anger reveals your heart. Anger reveals what you love. Anger reveals what you serve. Anger reveals your master. I am against that. I saw that. I care about that. And that's not bad. I mean, do we really want to live in a world that's indifferent to terrorism or to to to, to rape or to to child abuse? Do we really want to live in that kind of world? But people see that and and, and think I'm against that. It's on my radar and I care and I want to act. I want to act. Uh, Henry Kellerman is uh, a psychoanalyst and he calls anger, uh, and uh, he says that anger has an aggressive drive It's expansive. It wants to get bigger. Anger has an explosive potential. It wants to burst out. It has a confrontational inclination. It wants to get tough. It has an attack inclination. It wants to attack it. It has an entitled frame of mind. It feels like it has the right to get tough. And and, and thus, anger is empowerment. Anger eliminates feelings of, of helplessness, you see anger. It's got quite a personality to it, right? I, I'm against that because I, I see that, I notice it, I care about it, and I want to act so that there is change. Change. In that. And my goodness, so we get angry with people. We get angry with institutions. We get angry with the government, the Supreme Court, Congress, the President. We get we get angry at, at bad refs. We get Yeah, I see that hand. We get angry. We get, not just at people, right? We get angry at pets. We get angry. We get angry at the traffic. Congested traffic up on North Prospect. You realize it took me 14 minutes to get from my house to the theater. It all usually only takes me nine. What is up with that? Angry. We get angry at the weather. Hmm? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put that down on the prayer card. We'll pray for that. Huh? Really, we do. We just, and we get angry at God, don't we? We, we, we witness the, the ravage of stage four cancer or F5 tornadoes. And, and we get angry at God. God, why would you? God, how could you? God, where are you? And we get angry. We get angry. And and you notice I haven't said anything about anger being immoral or wrong or sinful. I said, well, which is it? You know what? Anger's a lot like food. Food's not bad, but food can go bad. And food can decay. And food can rot. And that kind of takes us to the Bible, where we see the Scripture. You know, the Bible is really a story, and again, I don't mean fiction, I mean narrative. It's a plot between two angers, The anger of God and the anger of man. And all throughout the pages of scriptures you flip through. It's a contest between these two angers. The anger of God. God. God is holy. God is love. God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. And God wants His will done on earth as it is in heaven. And he will never, ever, ever relent from his will. Because it's good. It's, you want that. You want God's will done. And so, so when God displays his anger, God sees brokenness and God says, that's not right. I'm against that. That crosses the line. And so then God takes measures... To correct that. And as an expression of his high and holy and righteous anger. And you see, as image bearers, we have that capacity as well. And our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, had the capacity to display the high and holy anger of God, the the, the, that's not right, I'm against that, I saw that, I noticed that, I care about that, I'm going to act to correct that kind of high and holy anger as they walked with God in the, the cool of the day in this beautiful temple garden of Eden where God had commissioned them to be the, 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 his regal representatives to rule the earth and to fill and to multiply and to grow his glory. That was their commissioning. And, and then they were met by that wily serpent whose very first words out of his mouth were, Question the very word of God. Did God really say? God had permitted his representatives to enjoy everything in this luscious temple garden. That they had no reason to want for anything. God simply said, there is one tree I don't want you to eat of its fruit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day you eat it, you die. That's it. That's the only thing. Everything else though is yours. And the serpent's deceptive tongue spoke in a question did God really say did God really say and he lied to Adam and Eve telling them that well they got he he told you that because he doesn't want you to be like him that's why and Adam and Eve they both had that commissioning of God Right at that moment, they should have taken that serpent by the neck and marched him to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was a place of judgment in that ancient world. They should have said, that's not right. We're against that and expelled that liar from the garden. But they didn't do that, did they? Instead, they said to God, that's not right. You're holding back on us. And they rebelled. And instead of the serpent being expelled, they too were expelled. The anger of man is selfish, self-centered. It's in the interest of this claustrophobic kingdom of me. Me, me, me. And the anger of man is what wreaks havoc in this world. And it, it wreaked havoc in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve had sons Cain and Abel and it was the anger of man that led Cain to murder his brother Abel and it was the anger of man that led people to build this tower of Babel in their honor that it would reach the heights of the heaven but God is relentless on his anger he is his will is going to be done and so he scatters this project through the different languages and then the anger of man responds anger of man responds in, in the sons of Jacob selling their brother Joseph into Egyptian slavery, but the anger of God responded back by putting Joseph from slave to prime minister of Egypt to then save Jacob and the very brothers who sold him. Genesis chapter 50. You did this to harm me, but God did this for the saving of many lives. And all throughout the Bible, when you just read through the pages of Scripture, you see this contest, this struggle between the anger of man and the anger of God. They're irreconcilable. They're like water and oil. They will never mix, ever. But we see in this very fascinating passage of Scripture... A collision that takes place between the anger of man and the anger of God. And it's a collision that the Apostle Peter tells us about in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost when Peter preached his first gospel message, Peter said this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Here it is, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There it is. The anger of man put Jesus up on that cross. The self-centered harmful, meistic anger of I want my way no matter what. Put Jesus right there on the cross. I mean, Peter says as such again in Acts chapter 3 when he, when he says you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. The anger of man. The anger of man put Christ on that cross. But that's not the whole story. You see, the anger of God was there as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, that too is in verse 23 of Acts chapter 2, where Peter says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan. So God, see God's anger. God is not this temperamental, moody deity that's just irritable. What did we read in Psalm 103? The Lord is slow to anger. Multiple times in the Old Testament when we read about the anger of the Lord, it's always he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God scheduled an appointment with his anger. God put a time and a place and a person upon whom his anger would rest. And ground zero was the cross, Jesus Christ. The anger of God and the anger of man. It was this collision of grace on the cross. And you know why? He did it for you. It it, it was such a powerful, cataclysmic event. Scripture says that the lights went out from noon to three. It was such a cataclysmic event that the earth convulsed, that the curtain separating the most holy place in Judaism was torn from heaven to earth, from top to bottom. It was such a cataclysmic collision. Anger of man, anger of God but it was for you. It was for you that this took place. As Jesus Christ received all of God's wrath and all of God's anger upon him, deflecting it, receiving it, so that we wouldn't have to. He substituted himself. He stepped between us and the wrath of God. He took the bullet for us. He received it. So that you know whenever you're feeling that you're struggling, if you're in Christ, it's, it's not because God is angry with you, because God has exhausted all of His anger on His Son there at the cross, at a definite time and a place. for you, for you. <laughs> and there's a Bible word for that, and I want to teach it to you this morning. It's the word propitiation. Propitiation. I want you to say that with me on three. One, two, three. Propitiation. Let's do that one more time. One, two, three. Propitiation. What is propitiation? Propitiation is what happens when Jesus receives, because of his sacrifice, all of God's wrath so that I don't get any of God's wrath. Jesus got it all, so I don't get any of it. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a what? Propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Jesus took God's wrath, all of it for me, so I wouldn't receive any of it at all. Say, well, that's not fair. He wasn't guilty of anything. You're right. It's not fair. That's why it's called grace. To be received by faith. And when you look at it that way, when you see it that way, the anger of God is a beautiful thing. The anger of God is a beautiful thing. It, 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 it rescues me from me. And because of what Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection, by grace, through faith, trusting in him, oh my. Well, this is, this is where we can now, I mean, really sing with joy about what God has done in his anger to redeem us so that we can serve him, so so that we can give up the anger of man and take up the anger of God. You see, what the cross meant was to produce a whole new culture of anger. The work of the cross is to take a world gone mad and transform it into a church, a people, a holy nation, a living temple, passionate for the glory of Christ, zealous for good works, angry for God's glory uh, and and for the Spirit's working power to produce love and joy and peace and patience. When the anger of God is at work in my life, do you know what fruit is grown? Patience, self-control, love. So we are able to be righteously angered, not angry at God, but with God. And we rise to do good works. Because we've been caught up in his cause because of the cross. Oh yeah. And all the while, you know, we live as street-savvy believers knowing that while the power of man's anger has been broken, the presence of man's anger still remains. And that reality plays itself out Every day in a drama, right? So on the one hand, we see poverty in our community, and we say with a white, hot, holy anger, that's not right. That's not right. I'm against that. I, I want to take action to be used by God to help fix that. Well, we see children that need to be mentored. And, and, and so we partner with organizations like Cradle to Career as a part of our all-in initiative. And we speak, why? Because we're saying, that's not right. I want to be used by God to make a difference in our community and, and we're challenged by the anger of mercy and the anger of kindness and the anger of the Spirit's presence in our life to live completely abandoned for Jesus Christ because we've given up man's anger and we're taking up the anger of God and, and we've been caught up in God's big sky kingdom and we want to passionately pursue Christ. Right? Amen? Yeah. Yeah. And then, not five minutes later, we go to the refrigerator and open the door, and there's two tablespoons of milk left in that empty plastic bottle. And we go, What? What is up with that? Who wants the last two tablespoons of milk? Who wants that? Or we say to our spouse, Where's my wallet? Only it's not a question. It's an accusation, right? Yeah. As if your wallet were the Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) Do you know what happened to God's people when they touched the Ark of the Covenant while I was touching my wallet? And then you realize you left it in your pants pocket that you wore yesterday. Uh-oh. And you realize then that while we have been delivered from the penalty of man's anger, we are day by day being renewed and empowered to to break the power of man's anger in our life. And, and so we look at James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 and we realize this is not just self-help management. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This is, not, this is not self-help management. You know what this is? This is the Spirit's arsenal to attack the flesh which produces the anger of man. This is the Holy Spirit working in your life. The anger of God working in your life to produce the patience that would lead you to listen lovingly and speak scarcely because man's anger does not promote God's righteous cause, you see. You see? See, at the cross, God redeemed anger by inflicting his anger on his son in a collision of grace between the anger of man and the anger of God. And God put Jesus to death on the cross so that in his death, burial, and resurrection, we might give up our anger so that we can take up his anger so that the glory of Christ might be seen in and through us. I like, I like that old Episcopal prayer. Oh God, Let the design of your great love shine on the waste of our wraths and sorrows. Let the design of your great love shine on the waste of our wraths and sorrows. And so we pray, God, I thank you for your victory over the anger of man and I know you're not done with me yet. So come near to me by your grace and produce in me more love. Lord, I know I need to love my enemies but right now, I just want to love those that I say I love because I'm struggling with that. Help me, help me truly feel for someone other than myself. Give me love and give me compassion and give me mercy because if you don't, I'm doomed to be a slave of man's anger. And I don't want that. I don't want to go back to that. I need the cross. Please bless me with it and I press on because I know that one day the war will forever end and we will be with you. We will be liberated and free and we will be purely zealous for your righteous cause. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Church, the drama of redemption is a drama of anger. And his anger is your hope. His anger is your hope. It takes anger to deliver us from anger. And so praise God that he was willing to be angry so that we could be rightfully angry. Amen.